Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. in your household my mother my aunt my uncles so i mean it's every everybody that was older it was part of life i just assumed that everybody did it i was a natural born medium and there are people that have memories from infancy i also remember speaking to spirits and they would come to me as as a baby and talk to me and they were very nice to me there was nothing ever evil all my memories are of nice spirits and i've always had spiritual assistance and things that i've done and just assumed everybody did i didn't feel special or different than anyone else it wasn't until i went to school to kindergarten that I was warned, you have to keep your mouth shut. Well, that didn't matter because I couldn't speak English. So, <laughs> and I was like the only kid that ever failed kindergarten, by the way. So, <laughs> because I couldn't speak English. Is it because you spoke Spanish in your household? Yeah. Spanish. Spanish. Hereditary things are a big issue as well. Not everybody's going to be as skilled a magician as maybe you are. It could be DNA memory. I know my grandmother was a Santera and she practiced Brujeria and, uh, and Palo. You grow up in America, in Detroit, throughout school, junior high school, high school. Was this something that you discussed with your friends? No, because I, I was sworn to secrecy. Yeah, don't, don't talk to the kids about it. And I think it was a, a, a good thing too, because I didn't want to be secluded. And I had a I had a normal childhood. I have a well-rounded education. I've I've been a model. I've been an actress. I've been a, uh, a I'm still licensed as a cosmetologist. But I got bored with the girly stuff. It's like I want to join the Air Force. So I joined the Air Force. I was in a combat unit um, as wow. a medic, and I even visited Nam. And I stayed in the Air Force for eight years. And then I went to college and did all the college stuff. How did you work your spirituality while you were in the Air Force? A lot. I mean, patience, patience. I mean, these, these patients were, were combat patients, severely injured patients, right? Yeah. I mean, I had to, to work it all the time. And call on spirit guides. I would call on doctor spirits, on nurses spirits. I call on on my spirit guides, my personal spirit. I called, I got to tell you who I called on a lot. I called on the spirit of Florence Nightingale perpetually. Okay. Wow. 
Well, I mean, if you don't know anything about uh, Florence Nightingale, she was a very, 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 very wealthy woman. Woman, And back in the olden days, and this is like the old, old, olden days before I was born, because I'm 64, so people think I, I rode my dinosaur to school. But um, she, this is way before I was born. She was a very influential, high society family. And back in those days, you know, during the Crimean War, mm. anybody who was a nurse was a prostitute. They would bring in prostitutes to practice nursing. And nobody knew what they were doing. And she decided she was going to make nursing a profession. And she brought in nuns. She brought, and she fought her family. She fought them tooth and nail. She walked away from all of it to help the soldiers in the Crimean War. And she was the one that created nursing. And she also created the the baccalaureate, the baccalaureate degree nurse, that's what she always wanted. Now we have different levels, but I would call on her spirit all the time. She was an incredible woman. People laugh because they say, oh, Florence Nightingale, she was a phenomenal woman. I mean, she had balls of steel, you know, to go up against all of that, to, to risk her reputation. She didn't care, you know, that she would be... Um, What's the word? Like lumped in with the prostitutes? Lumped in with the prostitutes. You know, labeled, labeled, labeled. She didn't care. She didn't care. She wanted to help people. And God, she, she really did. So I called on her spirit a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. What does that mean when you call on a spirit? Like, would you see her? Would she be standing next to you? You know, I've never seen her, but I could feel her. I could feel her. And these were times that I needed miracles. And you see a lot of miracles, you know, either in, in combat. And then I became a level one trauma center nurse, you know, and we all saw some amazing stuff that's inexplainable. And it's interesting because laymen think that doctors and nurses are atheists. We're the most spiritual people around because we see things. You know, we see, I can't tell you how many times a code comes, a, you know, a code, cardiac arrest, okay? A code comes in and you can see the spirit. It's not like in the movie goes where it comes up. Like, it isn't like that. You'll, you'll actually see the silhouette of the body of the person who's getting CPR, if you will, okay, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. It's actually ACLS stuff. But anyway, you can see them standing at the foot of their bed or the foot of their cart. And, you know, we would know that we'd have to call it because they were just looking at their bodies and they were leaving. I've had patients die on me and I felt the woof, the air. It was just like real fast, woof near-death experiences, I did not believe in them. I thought it was all bullshit. I thought it was all chemical because when you, when you pass on, your brain does things so it's not unpleasant, right? And I thought it was all hallucinatory and all these things that were caused by chemicals. 
because why did I believe that? Because everybody was seeing the same things, right? So that's got to be the chemicals. So I had a patient and when I was a trauma nurse and he had this, I have to, I'm sitting on my foot, so I'm getting up. So he had, he had a rare condition because he worked in a bakery and all this yeast got into his lungs. And when he'd have an acute respiratory attack, it was devastating. And there were times that, because, you know, it isn't one ER doc. It isn't one emergency room doc. You know, it's, it, they change shifts every eight hours and, and there's more than one. And, you know, they only work a few days a week. So there were times that he almost died, but one doctor figured out what to do. He figured it out. And I have almost a photographic memory and he was my, my favorite patient. So every time he'd come into the ER, the doctors would say, just go at it. I mean, most of the time, if I was on, he never really saw a doctor. I did everything the doctor signed off, claimed the glory, you know, <laughs> I do all the work they said. And then I went into administration, right? I went into hospital administration, but whenever they call a code or a trauma in the ER, I had to go because it's in my blood, right? I had to go. And there he was. He was in the trauma room. He was in cardiac arrest and I had no say so because I wasn't an ER nurse anymore. I was an administrator. So I tell people, that when you watch ER programs, right? And the doctor goes, a syringe of adrenaline. Then somebody yells back, a syringe of adrenaline. What is going on is not for dramatic purposes, okay? What is going on is usually when you call a code, right? Let Be it a code one, everybody comes, okay? And the doctor is screaming orders. And then the nurse who takes the orders is screaming back because someone in the back is taking notes. Mm. So the doctor ordered this, nurse so-and-so did that. That's the reason we yell in the ER. So I came into the ER, I was like, I'll take notes. I'm in the back of the room. This is a great big room. And I'm in the back and I'm taking notes and I'm crying my eyes out, you know, and there was an intern with me and he's like, what's wrong? I said, I've come to love him like a father. And he looked to me like he was dead. This time I, I believe that he was, that was it. So I'm telling the intern all these things, but I'm whispering. Okay. Had he been awake, alert, and sitting up in his cart, there were so many people in the room, he never would have seen me, let alone hear me. They resuscitated him. They resuscitated him. So now he's in ICU and I go to ICU intensive care unit. I go to the ICU constantly checking up on him, checking up on him. And about two or three days later, he regains consciousness. 
and he sits up and Aida told me what I was wearing and everything I said. He was hovering over me, watching me. And from that day forward, <laughs> I knew there was such a thing as near-death experience and it wasn't chemically induced. It was the real deal. So let me tell you, we see some stuff. So I've met a lot of nurses since I've um, become an author with Wiser that are witches. So that has surprised me pleasantly, if you will. I mean, if you really think about it, perhaps back in the day when witches were burned, they were doing things that many nurses today would be doing, right? They were administering drugs. They were helping pregnant women. Those who are able to hold the energy of being in life and death situations, whether it's in combat, whether it's in the ER, it makes sense that they would have something about them that's more than just, oh, you know, what we see with our five senses. They know the invisible world exists because there's firsthand experience. Oh, yeah. And I met a lot of doctors that were witches, too. So really? acknowledge each other, if that makes any sense, but not to the entire staff. So we would get together and, you know, but not to everybody. What do you define as a witch, or who do you define as a witch? I define a witch, this is my personal interpretation, and everybody has their own. I think that a witch is anybody who practices magic successfully and gets manifestation. What is magic to you? What is magic? Mm -hmm. Magic is exceeding what the mundane world demands. Magic is acknowledging that there's another world. There's another realm, if you will. Magic is working with that realm. Magic is, is loving everything that's created. Magic is appreciating everything. And I think magic is, I mean, if we want to get profound, I think the practice of medicine is magic. It is. I think that religion is magic. And I always it's always been my contention that prayer is just a ritual it's a magical ritual under the guise of something else like, this is how we make it permissible it's magic but this is how we make it permissible you know we we say dear god at the end and uh, you know at the beginning and you know or whomever then it's permissible it's still magic it still is because you're communicating with another realm and you're interacting with another realm. And you're either asking for assistance, right? That's magic. Would you say that what you do is witchcraft and magic? Or do you see what you do as something different than that? Something different. Hmm. Could you define that a little bit more? And I don't mean this as a bloodline. You know how a person would come home and talk to their mother or father or brother or sister that, you know, so-and-so is doing something really bad to me. Okay, so now your brother, your sister, your father is going to go over there and kick their ass, right? And not always in a negative way, 
right? So I come home and I talk to my family. And, you know, can you help me do this? Can you help me do that? That's how I feel about it because it's always been there. You know, I try to teach everybody in practical terms. There are no great big secrets. There are some secrets such as, you know, if you're in Santeria or Apollo, there are some secrets that you must keep. I certainly would never give anybody a death spell. I would never, ever do that. So, I mean, those are types of secrets that I, I do keep to myself. But it's my objective to show people that virtually anybody can, can perform magic. And I, I try to teach them not only how to do it, but the key is why they're doing it. For instance, I had a, a master class the other day. Why do we use a candle? You know, many people don't do, know this. Candle is, is a tool for communication. That's why we inscribe the candle. That's why we put pictures. That's why we, you know, put incense or, or whatever we, we're doing. It can be as simple as lighting a candle and putting it over a picture. Or it can get complicated. It can get, you can put herbs in there. You can put oils in there, but all you're doing is enhancing the communication process. Knowing why you're doing something is the key. I love how you said that. I just had like a light bulb moment because it's almost like you're calling somebody and you're boosting the reception, right? By using the candle. If you see it as, this is me, like I want to get a message across to somebody, I don't know, two towns away, but now I have this thing that's going to amplify my voice and make the message clearer. And so the intention that I have when I'm using the candle will be different. Cause I'll be like, Oh, this is like an amplifier. This is a clarifier of my message. The oils and the herbs. It's like, Oh, these are additional wires, fibers, whatever it is to make the telecommunication. I like the word wires. I like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why do we light a candle? Because the flame of the candle pierces the veil between our world and the spiritual world. So it's breaking that barrier. And then the flame of the candle gives whomever we're calling upon energy. Have you ever been to a Catholic church? Have you ever been to a Greek Orthodox church? Because I've been to a zillion. There's candles everywhere. Okay. What are they doing? They're lighting a candle, you know, to ask God for whatever they're asking God for. Okay, same principle. They're breaking the veil. Religion is magic. People can't seem to get that, you know, they can't seem to understand that. Religion, as far as I'm concerned, is magic. It sounds like so much of what people may do, even if they're not religious, if they light a candle because, I don't know, a celebrity that they really loved passed away and they're lighting a candle in honor, that celebrity that's a type of magic as well right and they're oh, absolutely. absolutely because you're sending you know good thoughts you know i hope he crosses or she whomever crosses over peacefully and you could be lighting a candle to give the family comfort you know you're 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 sending out communication is what you're doing let's say there's somebody who's not religious not spiritual whatsoever but you know they want to send out like good wishes to some, I don't know, like maybe there was a tragedy that happened, like a big tragedy, some 
plane crash or something, they want to send out good thoughts to the victims. If you light a candle, is there a marked difference between sending out good wishes with and without a candle? There is. Okay. Number one, sound is energy. And I always tell people, your prayers must be recited out loud. Your petitions must be recited out loud. Your commands must be recited out loud. Because sound is energy, which, you know, it transmits, right? So in my perspective, when you're lighting that candle, you're sending it out faster. So it's almost like snail mail versus an email. The email would be the candle and the snail mail would be me, you know, just putting that energy out. Just like thinking it rather than saying it. I think that thinking does not emit energy. At it all. It has to be verbally stated. If you read any of my books, I always say, prayers must be recited out loud. They must be recited out loud. Is there a difference between reciting something, let's say, quietly because you're shy or very loudly? I, I, you're asking the wrong person because I'm a loud, I'm Cuban. I'm loud. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have never in my life and, and everything that I teach, I've done. I don't teach anybody to do something that I've never done. I've never whispered ever. So I can't tell you if it works. I just can't. I was always raised also that when I state commands or petitions, I was always, to, you know, trained to scream them out loud. I'm asking because, you know, there's a lot of people at church that are going to be whispering like they're praying. But they're yeah, doing and I hate that. And I hate silent prayer. You know, like when they, they the priest says, oh, so-and-so is sick. Let's have a silent prayer for him. And I'm always thinking, who the hell is going to hear that? And the whole church is quiet, right? It's like, okay. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So I love that you said that because these are principles that can be applied no matter what sort of magic that you're doing. So, okay, you know that say it out loud and a candle amplifies it as well. So, hey, if you say it out loud in a commanding or voice filled with gravitas and you have a candle with the intention and all of that put together, wow, so much more effective. Exactly. I was taught by my family, just do it. You know, this is the way you have to do it. But as I got older, then I asked why. You know how you get rebellious, you know, at a certain age, teenager. Why? 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 But then they tell me why. But they never told me why before. Mm. You know, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. So, yeah. That sounds a lot like Asian families. It's like, you just do it because I tell you so. And then later when you're like a lot older, then they're like, okay, now that you've actually done the work, then we can explain it to you. But even if they explained it to the person when they were younger, maybe it wouldn't have made sense because they had to actually do it first. Right, right. So you were, you know, working at the hospital, you were doing ER things, and then now you're teaching? Like, how did that happen? I wanted to go back to my roots because I'm, I'm a retired nurse and doing readings helped me through nursing school, doing performing spells helped me through nursing school. I moved my mother in with me because my, my father had died and, 
you know, realistically, I did kind of sway away from the hardcore magic, if you will. And that's what I called it. Bringing my mother to live with me because after my father died, then everything started coming back and I was back to the old ways. And, you know, when you're growing up, you're kind of ashamed, right? Because this isn't what other kids are doing. This isn't what your friends are doing. And I reached um, a point that I had ultimately concluded that my family was weird and I was ashamed of them. And I regret that every day of my life now, because when I brought my mother to live with me, it was like, wow, this is really beautiful. And my aunt had died. My uncles had died. And I'm so sorry because, and this is another thing I tell people, listen to old people, listen to them. If I had written down everything that everyone had told me my entire life, I could have written volumes and volumes and volumes of encyclopedias. And it's the biggest mistake I ever made, but I think we all make that mistake. You know, when we become teenagers, we're all weird. So I missed out. I I feel that I should have embraced all of this rather than have been embarrassed about it. And my godparents too, my godparents and Santity and Paolo, I was ashamed of them too. <laughs> so. Were you initiated by, like when you say that you didn't feel as comfortable like embracing that part of your life, but you had to be initiated or were you just automatically initiated as part of your life? you get initiated, you have to have initiations. So when were you initiated and you still- First initiation was in, in utero because my mother was a Santera, so you can do that. You uh-huh. can initiate your child in utero. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about initiations because I don't want to discuss what, what they- Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are, those are things I keep secret because you have to. Your mom starts to live with you um, and then the old ways you start to reconnect with your roots and now you're teaching and that's what we're talking today uh, because we're talking about your latest book um, and it's called Hoodoo Cleansing and Protection Magic, but you've also written other books. Right. And you also mentioned that, oh, you wish you had written everything down that your family had told you because then you would have had encyclopedias of knowledge. So you mentioned Santeria and you mentioned other things, but Hoodoo, why, why Hoodoo? Like when people think of Hoodoo, they have a very specific image. Okay, what is that image? (laughs) Because I've been spending the last couple months telling people the difference between voodoo and hoodoo. (laughs) On TikTok, there is this humongous debate going on, right? That first of all, the difference between hoodoo and voodoo, most kids have already kind of like argued it out. (laughs) And I spoke to Mambo Sierra on my YouTube channel like back in April. And she said, well, voodoo is kind of like the religion. Hoodoo's the practice. And voodoo is the religion. Yeah. yeah. And voodoo is something that you have to be initiated into. Now, the big argument right now is, is hoodoo also an open practice or a closed practice? There's I would say it's open. I would say it's open. There's no initiation process. Can anyone do hoodoo? 
anyone can do Wicca, anyone can do Santeria, anyone can do voodoo, not all of it, but they can do certain aspects of it. Um, hoodoo is a folk magic practice. And as you know, because you've been listening to the, the arguments, right, that voodoo is a magical religious practice. So I tell people, and the same with Santeria. So I tell people, in fact, I have it on my website, on my, I don't have a great blog, but you know, I do have something on my blog that you don't have to be an initiated Santera to pray to the Orishas. You can light a candle and pray to an Orisha and ask for help. And nine out of 10 times, they help you. That one time they don't help you is because you really don't believe. I know there's a lot of frowning about cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. I don't get upset when people practice Santeria. So I can't speak for that. You know, being Cuban, I do have African blood in me. The other thing too is hoodoo has incorporated Asian magic, Native American magic. It's got a heavy Judeo-Christian influences. It's ever evolving due to the, the input of influences. So I don't know, that, that, that's a tough question that, that I don't know what the right answer is. I'm not African American complete, you know, I, I, I have African Cuban in me, you know, but I can't speak for African American. But if that's the question you're asking me, if you're asking me, can someone pick up a hoodoo book and, and perform that spell. Yeah. Hoodoo, those poor people, when they came here to, to the United States, they had to work with what they had, right? Whatever was available. And that's what I try to do in my books is to help you work with whatever's available, not to, to go out and buy a trillion billion dollars worth of stuff that you don't need when all you might need is an 89 cents bottle of ammonia, right? To do the same thing. Um, it's my goal to, to help people to do things for themselves and to realize it's not that difficult. You just got to have intent and faith. And yes, if you have intent and faith, yeah, who do will work for you? I don't judge people. I don't judge anybody. You know, there are times I see a lot of people that do things in Santeria and lie. They lie through their teeth. And there's so many of them out there and they're well known. They're well known and it's like, no, 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 no. But I bite my tongue. Am I insulted? Yes. Do I think the Orishas are insulted? Yes. They've prostituted Santeria. It upsets me terribly, terribly, but I don't, I keep my mouth shut. I, I don't say a word. It's not for me to judge. People get into flame wars and have hexed each other over this topic. I, I, I just, I, I have no tolerance for witch wars no tolerance at all. I'm, I'm 64 years old. I don't need that crap. You know what I mean? And the best thing for people to do 
is, is to stay out of witch wars. When I teach cursing and crossing, when I teach anything, even in hoodoo, cleansing and protection, all my books, you know, I've got another one coming out next year. Shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Okay. There's a line from the devil's advocate that I plan to add to my new manuscript. And Al Pacino, um, he plays the devil. Have you seen the movie? It's I a love the movie. Yeah. Oh my God. He is such a sexy devil. So anyway, he says that he stays in the trenches. You know, they never see him coming. He does this in, in, in recites these lines in, in great detail. In other words, shut up and be a snake in the grass. If I tell you right now, hypothetically, knock on wood, I'm going to curse you. Okay, I knocked on wood so that the spirit of wood wouldn't hear me. What's the first thing you're gonna do? You're gonna put up protection. My curse is not going to work. Why do people get involved in stupid witch wars? It's, it's ridiculous. And not only that, you're taking advantage of a gift that will be taken away from you. I believe that I personally have absolutely no power. I'm, I'm just a tool. When I do psychic readings, it's not me. I don't allow my patients. I keep saying patients because I'm a nurse. Like I keep, you know, I always, when my clients say, oh, you know, Miss Aida, you're the best reader. I No, no, I'm not doing it, okay? My spiritual cord is doing it. When my spells work, I'm not doing it. I'm just a tool. These are not gifts that I have. My gift is being able to communicate with them. My gift is, you know, to communicate cohesively. That's my gift. I mean, you have to know some stuff like, how to read candle wax or when your spell's not going to, I mean, those are certain things you have to know, but anybody can do that. You know, the trick is how close are you to your spiritual cord? So you start throwing things here and doing that and doing that. The bottom line is you use it and you abuse it. Now there was a woman and you're way too young to remember this, but there was a program called Dallas. And I remember, I remember it's fashionable again now. Oh, okay. So Linda Evans, she found this, this uh, psychic and the psychic was absolutely phenomenal. And she had a spirit guide or I, I don't know if he was a spirit. I don't know who he was, but it was incredible. I mean, it was her rapport with this entity was absolutely incredible. And he would, if I remember correctly, um, he would possess her and talk to people and everything he told them, everything, everything, everything came to pass. And he told her, he told the, you know, the woman, the psychic, the, his, his tool, I call it psychic's tools, okay. He told this tool, you know, you, you, you can't be abusing this. You can't do it. And she ignored him. And next thing you know, she's got a fancy mansion and all this other stuff. He left her. I don't know what happened, but she was no longer in the rag mags. She was no longer in any. She just disappeared. And he left her. But he warned her, you abuse it, you're going to lose it. I'm, I'm not doing this all the time for you. 
Because you know what? You're using them. You're using them. What if I called you and, and, and asked you for a favor and you went out of your way to do me a favor and then I call you the next day, well, can you do me another favor? And then you go out of your way and do me a favor. Then I call you, you know, fifth middle of the afternoon. Can you do me a favor? And then you do me a favor. Do you mean the nighttime? Can you do me a favor? At some point you're going to say, no, no, you don't appreciate what I've done for you. Why am I keep doing this stuff for you? Why? You got to use logic when you practice magic. You got to use logic when you're communicating. When you're working hoodoo, when you're doing root work, conjure, are you working in any way with spirits or is it just with the materials? No, I always work with spirits. I don't just work with material. What sort of spirits would you be working with? Well, if I do negative spell work, I only call on my spirit guides and my ancestors because I, I don't want the saints and all, all the holy entities to know anything about it, okay? Um, if I'm doing positive work, then I'll call on saints. I'll call on Orishas. I may call on God, even, depending on what it is. I've called on the Virgen Caridad de Cobre. She's a patron saint of Cuba. She's worked with me through my whole life. She's the very, very best. You know, she's my patron. And that's what I do when I do positive work. But when I do negative work, no. I don't want them to know. You know, it's kind of stupid because they do know, but I don't want them to know. <laughs> I mean, the way that you're talking about hoodoo then, it sounds a bit different from how maybe a lot of these TikTok, young TikTok witches talk about. Because they make it sound as though that everything's empowered by their ancestors. But it sounds like for you, you're talking to this spirit or that spirit, depending on what sort of spell that you're trying to do. Ancestor veneration is very important, but something something happened and I don't know what it what it was. But all of a sudden it's all about ancestral veneration. And that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, what happened? What the you know, it's part of the practice. Herbs have spirits, right? They're plants, roots have spirits, plants have spirits. Minerals have spirits. Stones have spirits. Okay. That's not empowered by your ancestors. That's empowered by God. He, he gave them all spirits. Maybe they call on their ancestors for assistance, but it isn't the ancestors that are giving the tools powers. So it's almost like the ancestors are one department of the entire company, but there's other departments. Yeah. Yes. So if you're trying to do something HR related, you talk to the HR department. If you're trying to do something accounting related. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yes. I like it. Okay. Well, Hoodoo has been making this huge resurgence in terms of like everybody thinks that Hoodoo is the thing to do right now, but everyone's sort of like, oh, tiptoeing around. Am I allowed to? Am I not allowed to? What is folk magic exactly? Folk magic is, is a practice that happens in certain areas when when people have a group of people have common beliefs and then it becomes folk magic we could start our own folk magic if everybody on my block hypothetically 
um, decided that a lighter, I'm making this crap up, okay, because it's impossible. Well, we decided that a lighter will empower us to fly and a dog will empower us to speak to all animals. And we, we all start sharing this common belief. Then it becomes a folk magic of my neighborhood. It becomes a, a group thinking process that is the same. Okay, so it's magic of the people. It's the magic of a very specific location and right. traditions of that specific group of people. If you are in like a fraternity or sorority, they're doing folk magic. Absolutely, there you go. There you go, all those um, initiations. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a, a sheriff, I forgot his name. He learned to be a hoodoo practitioner. If I said his name, you would know it. He's written a couple of books about his experiences as a sheriff in a hoodoo community. And his contention is that if you practice negative magic, it makes your positive magic weaker. I haven't found that. I haven't found that to be true. Everybody has their own beliefs. Why do you think people believe that? Because it's not just uh, when it, in regards to hoodoo. Like, there's a lot of people who say stuff like any sort of curse work that you do, baneful magic you do, it's going to come back at you threefold. I believe it's, it's Wicca. You know, whatever you do will come back to you. Right. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. That is a threefold. Now, I believe that too, in, a, in, in one instance, I believe that if you curse somebody and the curse is not justified, I mean, I don't know if it'll come back to you threefold, but I think somehow, some way, you're, you're going to pay for that. I really do. Because I do, you know, most hoodoo practitioners do not believe in karma. It's not part of the hoodoo belief system, but I do believe in it. And that's why I think it, any spell has to be justified, anything. No, I mean, if I do a crown of success spell or a healing spell, I don't have to justify that because I'm not hurting anybody, right? But if I'm doing negative magic or even love spells, and I, I had said this on another program, you know, you got to think about love spells. You know, is, is this guy married? Is, is he, does he have a lot of children? You know, are you breaking something up and bringing him to do you just for selfish purposes? Who are you hurting? Even love spells, I believe, have to be justified. Are love spells in general unethical? In certain situations, they are. I think that, all right, let me, let me put it to you this way. So when I was an ER nurse, some of the nurses had crushes on single doctors, okay? And I do love spells, and they worked. That's not unethical. He had nobody. She had nobody. Got them together. In fact, I created two weddings <laughs> out of that. And if, and it's happened where the nurses have asked me, you know, I, I know he's married and blah, 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 but can you do a love spell? I wouldn't do it. That to me is unethical. That's a big debate going on as well, saying that 
love spells. There's one camp on TikTok, very vocal camp, that says you're messing with somebody's free will. So even yeah, if those are caging spells, and I don't believe in, and I know I'm using the term and I'm stealing it from Wicca, mm-hmm. but there's no other way to explain it. Okay. Caging spells are, are when you're, the person is forced to be with you, right? You uh, use domination um, ingredients. There's different types of love spells. Right. And I think those are very unethical. I would never do that to anybody, ever. I'd like to. I mean, there are some guys that are really hot that I would love to do that, but it's unethical. It's unethical. How, how is a caging spell different from a more ethical love spell? It forces somebody to be with you and only you. I don't, I don't perform those. Versus a love spell, like would a petition for a more ethical love spell, would it be more like if they want to or if no, it's okay? no, no, no. I, I would say, you know, this person would love me. I wouldn't say only me. Then we're technically getting into problems ethically. For hoodoo spells, are the petitions, is the wording of the petition very important? Very important. Very, very important. It's another form of communication. So, you know, petition papers, you can put them under candles. There you go, more communication, right? I mean, there's different places you can put petition papers, and they've existed for a long time. They're very, they're, back in the olden days, they only used petition papers. And there are some realms of, of practice where you today that you only use a petition paper or use just a petition paper in a, di- in a, a different fashion as its own entity, as its own spell. So you can use it with along with spells or you can use it as a spell in a different situation. When you say petition paper, are we talking about a consecrated piece of paper? Or are we talking about... Right, right. So you, you've, got, you've got a piece of paper and... You know, based on how I was raised, it's always a torn piece of paper bag without factory folds. And then you write out what it is with a pencil and then you anoint the paper. Then it, when you anoint it, 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 it gives it some sort of a life, if you will. It gives it some sort of wakes it up. The love spells that you did that helped the nurses and the doctors get together like in general, how would it be? Like they, you, you take that petition paper, you write out, he loves her, she loves him, anointed. No, no, no. So when I do, when I do love spells, I don't just do a love spell. So I, maybe I should have made that clear to begin with. Okay. First we do an attraction spell to attract the person towards, I mean, I, I, you just don't make somebody love you. It doesn't work that way. It's not logical, okay? Because if I could do that, I'd bring Andy Garcia here or, you know, it's a process. So, I mean, you got to start the attraction first, right? And that's what I would do. It wasn't just one spell. And then if I got results, then I'd move on to the next thing, such as come to me, Right? follow me, then, then love me. It's not just love me. 
Now, let's put this in perspective too. There are people I can't stand. I absolutely hate their guts. I mean, I, I, I hate them. If they were to put an attraction spell on me, it isn't gonna work. There's no need to go any further. So if this works, ah, okay, let's do this. Then let's do this. Yes, mm -hmm. do a love spell. I, I don't believe in that. Let's see if there's potential. Exactly. And if any step along the way, it isn't reciprocated, then oh well. But you're not forcing them. If it doesn't work, the come to me part, then it's sorry. So how is that different from just not doing an attraction spell or whatever? How, is, how would that be different from the nurse just deciding to like, I don't know, wear like really nice perfume or, you know, or just to kind of talk to him or kind of wink or flirt with the doctor a little bit more? And I'm only speaking from my experiences. They come in from all different areas of the hospital. They're responding to a code. I've mentioned a code before. And then they leave. Thank you very much. Blah, 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 blah. So perfume, is, you know, isn't going to do it because they're, you know, you've got to have some sort of magic to, hey, she's cute. Right. You, know, you got to have something like that. There was this one doctor. <laughs> there was one doctor. He was so handsome. And he was trying to, I, you know, I, I wouldn't date any doctor that I worked with, because that's a bad policy, right? So he was so attracted to me, and he put on this cologne. And every time he got within two feet of me, I had a pounding headache because I was allergic to the cologne. Oh, no. It's like, oh, God, he's coming. It's almost like the magic spell is a non-headache-inducing <laughs> cologne. <laughs> this magic is not like a miracle thing. If you're not, if you're going to be slightly awkward, it's not going to work. No, it isn't. It isn't. You know, and I say that even when I do cursing and crossing, you don't just do a spell. If the person's, you know, and I talk about this in my book, Hoodoo, Cleansing and Protection Magic, I talk about the aura, Okay. So if, if a, someone's aura is bright and healthy, right, one spell isn't going to do it, two spells, because you've got to penetrate that aura. That aura is protecting you, right? You've got to pen one after another after another. It's like pounding with a hammer or trying to break it down. You've got to do one after another. Now, if somebody has a suppressed aura, they've had a lot of problems that they're suppressed, yeah, one or two spells is going to get to them. Wow, okay. That then makes me think, going back to the title of your book, which is about protection, protection spells and magic, it almost sounds then like the best protection against somebody sending you curses or hexing magic is to be just mentally and emotionally healthy, to have a bright aura. Right. If you're doing lots of protection spells, but you're not going to your therapist or you're not having healthy relationships, it's not the best way to do this. Right, because... It's, it's physiological, the, the physiological, the psychological, and the spiritual, they're all interconnected. And, you know, if, if you take care of your, your physiological and, and psychological health, that will take care of your aura. But you still have to take care of you. If you take care of your aura, you're also helping your physiological and psychological. It's all interrelated. You know what I mean? If you, if you take care of your one thing, it helps the other two. So, but I always say, you know, cleanse the aura first before you 
start with protection because, and I've said this, people are tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to keep saying it, keep saying it, and keep saying it. If I haven't bathed in a year and I donned perfume, I put perfume on myself, nice, expensive, $1,000 an ounce perfume, I'm going to stink even worse. And if your aura is not cleansed, the protection isn't going to do anything. Oh my God. That is such a great analogy. That's an amazing analogy. So your book. Can you see it? Hoodoo. Yeah, it's Hoodoo Cleansing and Protection Magic. I think a lot of people, they want to do protection magic. They want to cleanse themselves. They're always afraid of hexes or curses landing on them. Is that what this book is about? How to protect yourself from curses? So the book is about, and I always, always teach people why things happen. Mm -hmm. Not only why are you doing it, but why things happen. So people who have had a run of bad luck, people who are irritated, angry, people who are scapegoats, you know, for, for other vicious people, people who are victims of abuse, of con artists, uh, liars, thieves, people that are victims of spiritual negativity always hanging on them, bringing in possessed objects, objects that um, have been bewitched or objects that have absorbed energy, you know, negative energies, people that are ill, people who care for the ill, anything that has to do with negativity, attracting entities, attracting negative entities. So if you're attracting negative entities, you're attracting negative people, if you're attracting negative energies, why is it that a home feels really bad? You know, there's negative entities or negative energies in the home. I explain how all of this happens and why you're feeling this way. Yes, being a victim of a curse is covered in there and there's all kinds of signs and symptoms to alert you of that. There are signs and symptoms even to alert you if you've been possessed by, by an entity. I have everything. I mean, it's jam-packed with information. The most important part is that I explain why this has happened, but I also explain how to get rid of it how to shine yourself up like you were waxing a new car, right? Or waxing your car after washing it and then how to protect it. So that's what the book is about. I know a lot of people, they focus on curses or being cursed, but I guess that there's a lot of other things that have to deal with um, bad energy, bad juju, people call it many things. Right, right, so, right. Let's say, for example, you go to a flea market, you find some furniture that you really like, and then you bring it back home. Weird stuff starts to happen in your house, and you think, this is 
haunted. Is that sort of the stuff you're talking about as well? Right, right. It could, it could be possessed. I don't like to use the word haunted, but it could be possessed, right? It could have energies that possessed by a, uh, an entity. It could be have absorbed bad energies. You know, what, what if uh, hypothetically that chair that you brought in the house, what if that chair killed somebody? Or what if someone was sitting in that chair when they were murdered, viciously murdered, and the chair got refurbished? That energy is in the chair. So that's the difference between an entity living within something in that chair or it absorbing negative energies. What if I hated somebody so much? Let's say, hypothetically, I'm the antique dealer. And... You, you screwed me out of money. I could put a spell on that chair, right? I could put something in that chair to bewitch that chair so that when you bring it home, all this bad stuff is going to happen to you. Let's say you, you, um, you told everybody on the internet that, and there's no such store, I hope, Miss Aida's Antique Store. Um, I hope there's no such name. I don't want to get sued. Miss Aida and her German Shepherd Dogs antique store. So there, there, I've made it clear. Um, she's a ripoff. She screws people over. She does all this horrible stuff. And I know who you are because I've seen you posting it all over the internet about my store, right? Then you come in and you want to buy that chair. Oh, sure. I'll sell you that chair. I'll fix her. I'll do something to that chair. So that's the difference. You know, you can have a bewitched object, a possessed object, or an object that has absorbed negative energies. It's not for you to make that diagnosis. Although I tell you the difference, okay, I tell the reader the difference, the audience the difference, that's not for you to make the diagnosis. It's for you to get rid of it. A possessed object usually lays dormant for a while right? Before bad things start happening, right? A bewitched object will start working immediately. So the means of, of disposal are virtually the same. So why, why would you want to spend your time figuring it out? Then this is going to make a lot of people feel paranoid, like, oh my God, technically then the Ikea furniture that I bought new, maybe the factory worker at Ikea, cursed it so i don't feel safe bringing in any furniture anything into my house so how would somebody read your book and feel a little bit safer about bringing in all these outside energies well there's ways to cleanse things too you know and i, I have a recipe in there for chinese wash and chinese wash gets rid of negativity brings in positive you can you can wash it down with that. You could spray it with holy water. If, if you're getting a little paranoid about well, what energies am I bringing into the home? Most likely you're not bringing in anything possessed or bewitched, but you might be bringing in some uncomfortable energies that you could easily get rid of. So you have recipes. And when you said Chinese wash, just so that people don't get, freak out about it, it's actually like the name of uh, a well-known answer that washes away negativity and brings in positivity or washes away negative energy and brings in positive energies. 
So technically, somebody could buy your book, make a, just a huge amount of the, the Chinese wash, and just spray everything in their house right now with it. Like that's something they could do if they wanted to. But then there's going to be stuff that's a little bit more intense. Like there's going to be situations where people are just like, I really feel like there's some negative entity attached to me. I feel like something is going on where I'm constantly attracting like really like mentally not cool people, narcissistic people. Yeah, I have a 13 day eradication ritual in there that should take care of everything. And it, um, it includes a blockbuster to get rid of obstacles when you're done and then open the roads. Now, if you, a person is possessed, I, that's my last chapter. Okay. There are times that you need help. You need professional help. So I explained in the last chapter, poltergeist activity, you know, hauntings. Okay. So you'd be poltergeist or intellectual hauntings. There's four different types of hauntings. If you're living near a portal, right? An inter interdimensional portal. Um, if you suspect that there's a, um, a demonic haunting or a demonic possession, right? These are times that you need to get professional help. Trying to cover everything, everything. I mean, I, I went as far as to explain that and and it's because I'm a caregiver you know because I'm a nurse you know people don't understand that when someone's ill right they're going through a lot of hell they really are but what people don't understand is so with the caregivers and that caregiver can be the wife the son the daughter the husband okay people don't have the empathy or the understanding to see what they're going through. They're going through torment and that negative energy is going to attach to them too. This book is my attempt to, to um, discuss as many scenarios as possible. And why then the modality of hoodoo? Because it sounds as though there's many other different, why not Santeria, like the practices there? Why not other modalities? There's one thing I want to explain to you. Santeria, Palo, and Hoodoo have a lot in common. Okay, they're, they're all derived from Africa. Some of the things, many of the things in this book are not only used in Hoodoo, but they're used in Santeria, Palo, even in Brujeria. So, yeah, it's incorporated into this book. It is, because they have the same roots. I talk about egg cleansing. We do that in Santeria. We do that in Paolo. We do that in Brujeria. We do that in Hoodoo. Right. Um, Florida water. I talk about Florida water. Paolo, Santeria, Brujeria, Hoodoo. I think that a lot of people, they may be a little extra paranoid these days that everything is a curse. Somebody's trying to hex me. Somebody's trying to curse me. COVID if I am afraid of catching that, it's somebody's going to curse me and I'm going to get that. So how does a person know? Is there something laid out in the book on how to know? Like there's pages and pages of signs and symptoms, right? But let me, let me warn people about something. And I have this in my book too. If you're so afraid that you're going to get cursed, if you're that paranoid that you're going to curse, you know what's going to happen? You're going to end up cursing yourself. 
Okay, you're going to do it to yourself. And this is also an old trick that I also discuss in my book because I also talk about spiritual um, practitioners that are scammers. And I talk about the different ways that they'll scam you. And one of the, the biggest tricks is they will make you think that if you don't meet their whims or their desires that they'll curse you. So if I don't send them so much money or money on an ongoing basis, you know, 80 million trillion dollars for a spell or whatever, then I'm going to curse you or they'll imply it. And you get so paranoid because you're not going to give that person any money. And you ultimately end up doing it because you're so paranoid. Oh my God, he's cursed me. He's cursed me. And any little thing that goes wrong, right? It's going to suppress your aura to the point that you're going to have holes and tears in your aura and you did it to yourself. And here's the most valuable lesson I want to tell people because it really gets to me. I hear it hundreds and hundreds of times. If the spellcaster spell that you paid them for did not work, how the hell is their curse going to work? If they can't make an omelet, how the hell can they make a filet mignon? Having your aura suppressed, I like the way that you say that. It's Your aura is getting suppressed. Like when, you, when you're around toxic TV shows, um, drama online, people, doesn't matter. You just don't feel as good as if you're around people who are uplifting and who are, you know, like go-getters and positive people. So let's say that you are somebody who unfortunately, maybe your parents are toxic, um, your boyfriend's toxic, your best friend is a frenemy. Are there some spells or some techniques in there on how to get away from toxic people and influence? Yes, yes there are. Yes, there are. But you also have to work on yourself, too. You can't solve everything just with magic. And you yourself said that in the beginning. You have to work on yourself. I mean, magic complements. It doesn't fit. It's not a fix-all. It really, because if it was, I wouldn't have to put makeup on every day and do my hair. You know what I mean? I could just do a magic spell. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you just wave your hand and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> If you had to choose three songs that describe your practice and especially describe this book. Oh my God. Oh, baby. I come from, you know, the, the rock music of the seventies here. So good times. Those are some good um, bands. <laughs> <laughs> my practice and my book. Wow, there's so many songs out there. So I would say all three of my books would be described as witchy woman. And I would say a song to describe me I love Swamp Witch Magic, or, you know, the, by um, Jim Stanford. Lies a sleepy little Okeechobee town. Talk a swamp witch, had it lock you in when the sun go down. I love both those songs. Oh, it's the first thing that came up. 
when I put when I put swamp and W, the first thing that came up on Google. It's kind of a sad song, and it kind of reminds me of me and my neighborhood because um, the song is about you kind of assume it's Louisiana because they're, you know, he talks about the bayou. So there's this Hattie, she's a witch and she lives in the swamp and everybody's like, um, stay away from her. She's a witch. Stay away from her. She's a witch and everything she does is bad. And then a plague comes to town and everybody's dropping dead. And she comes in with this cauldron full of, of cure for this fever. They call it fever, right? And everybody gets cured. And they say, oh, well, Swamp Witch Magic is good. We got to bring Addie back. And they go to find her and all they find is a note that says, don't come looking again. And that kind of reminds me of me. It's like, yeah, you know, um, and anybody who's a witch, you know, not everybody, but most of us, it's like people talk bad about us. You know, they, they say we're evil, we're this, we're that, until they need us. So that's why I've used Swamp Witch Magic to describe me. Mm-hmm. You got to, if you hear the song, you're going to feel sorry for Hattie because she's really a great gal. <laughs> what about Witchy Woman? Why would you have that song describe your three books? Because I think that once everybody reads the three books, they're going to feel that way, whether they're a male or a female, they're, they're going to be empowered. They're going to be empowered. Is there any music that you listen to when you're doing spell work or is it just? I have a, God, I was just talking to somebody about that last night. So a lot of witches, and let me make something clear. Everybody practices magic their own way and everybody has their own beliefs and I'm not discrediting anyone's beliefs, okay? This is just my personal belief. So, if you want to, if I want to listen to music before I perform a spell, yeah, I'll do it. But to play music while I'm performing ener- um, spells, the energy, remember I told you in the beginning that sound is energy, right? So if I've got music going on in the background and I'm stating my petitions and my commands and my prayers, right? How powerful are they when I've got other energy coming in? Let me, let me put it to you this way. So it's almost like lighting two different types of incense. So I light one cone for uh, love and one cone for cursing. They're going to negate each other. They're going to smoke each other out. So I don't play music while I'm performing um, spells because that music is sound. Sound is energy and it may interfere with the energy I'm trying to output. Again, I know a lot of witches do, a lot of practitioners do, and I'm not discrediting that. I'm just telling you what works for me and my belief system. One thing I've really noticed is that things that work great for other people do not work at all for me. So it's been a process to learn what works for me. Right. And so it's really useful to learn from experienced occultists, uh, practitioners like yourself, because you try it and you learn from people who are experienced. It may work for you. It may not. 
right. but you still learn from it. And that's the most important thing. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off. <laughs>